Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. My name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 330. 330, everybody. Wow, Jesus. Uh, that's a scary thing. And uh, yeah, it's no encore podcast. It's a music podcast. I'm joined this week not by Craig Fitzpatrick for reasons that we will get into, but you've probably figured it out already. Uh, however, uh, Adam, I've got a hell of a guy for this episode. Sure do. Would you believe? Yeah, you sure do. I sure do. That's Adam Shanahan, everybody. Sonic Architect Adam. Um, and yeah, I'm delighted to, to do this. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show. I don't know if we've co-hosted together before. You have previously co-hosted with Craig. We did an episode with you as well, of course. All the way from the University of Limerick, it's Royal Yellow, aka Mark O'Brien, formerly of Enemies, now of Royal Yellow. How the hell are you, sir? Yo, yo, yo. It's good to be back. Coming to you live from the mean streets of Limerick. Um, yeah, pleasure, guys. Uh, there is currently a man who has just decided to start hoovering outside uh my office door, so uh, if you're picking up any ambient uh, hoovering frequencies, that's what's going on there. We were joking earlier about how like, I always seem to have a fan issue going on, like a, like a laptop fan or a ceiling fan, uh, when I've done the podcast in the past, and I went through great lengths to eliminate that possibility, and now we have a fucking hoover. So there's always going to be air moving, it seems, uh, when I open my mouth. But yeah, it's great to be back, Hoover's or not. Um, I think he's going to—he's uh, going to be gone soon. Um, it's lovely to be back, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, 
What can I say? Well, thank you. Thank you, man. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the said lots there. Thank you for stepping up uh, in our hour of need, because unfortunately, the rumours are true, everybody. Or if you're a if you're a subscriber to the No Encore Patreon, patreon.com slash no encore, you would, of course, gotten the news earlier this week in the episode preview that unfortunately, Craig Fitzpatrick, uh, we teased it on the show last week, guys. We said... I hope he doesn't get COVID. He got COVID. He's negative now. I chatted to him today, but he was in such a bad way on like Monday morning that I, we were just like, you can't do the show this week. You're fucked. And he like, honestly, he came home like, like you got to feel so sorry for the boy. Three yeah, years Jesus. holding on to those tickets, he, primarily oh. to see the strokes. <laughs> he gets there. They cancel. Oh. And then he comes home and gets COVID the next day. So, well, Jesus Christ. I mean, I saw Craig at Primavera. I was there too. And, I mean, who's to say that I didn't slip a little something into that Jack Daniels that I bought him around 1am on the Saturday. <laughs> All part of my master plan to get back in the No Encore co-host seat. Um, it's Incredible. You, sorry, like, this is a man, a, a man here admitting to international bioterrorism, yeah. like he's in fucking Resident <laughs> Evil. <laughs> Not a good look, Mark. I'm going to be chance, honest with you. Dave, I saw my chance and I took it. Yeah, Who well, in fairness, you, you know. do the same. <laughs> For the privilege of co-hosting this show. Yeah. Um, we send our best wishes to Craig. Absolutely. He genuinely, genuinely was in a heap, honestly. And listen, the thing about Craig is, like, he's not the kind of guy to, like, just, like, take sick, take off work. He he usually actually puts way too much stress on himself to, to, to always be working, and especially with the show as well. So it's a rare situation when he turns around and says, you know, I don't think I should do this. So I was like, all good, man. Don't worry about it. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. On this show, though, like I say, we've got a Royal Yellow. We've got a top five, and we're going to be doing top five uh, movie opening credits music, which I thought we had done, but it turns out we haven't. We've done horror movie themes, we've done end credits movie music, we've done uh, all kinds of, we've done TV show theme tunes, there's definitely more, but I don't think we've done, you know, here's the opening credits of a movie, here's music associated with it. It's inspired by Top Gun Maverick, a film I have now seen twice in the cinema. <laughs> Amazing. Can't you know what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood there? Well, that's on eight. I don't know if Top Gun Maverick is going to get to eight, but uh, we can all agree that box office smash, underdog sensation Top Gun Maverick is in fact great. Yes. And Mark, this was uh, this was your shout, Mark. So, uh, so what rationale beyond I enjoyed Top Gun Maverick did you bring to this uh, suggestion? Yeah, well, I'm I'm currently doing, I'm actually, a lot has changed since last time I was on the podcast and this I will find a way to tie this into the top five, don't you worry. Uh, but I'm, I'm now living in Limerick in beautiful Limerick City. Uh, I'm doing a master's in the University of Limerick in art and technology and I'm writing my thesis at the moment on cinema. So I've been going to the cinema a lot. Um, it's basically I'm writing about the disappearance of cinemas from, from towns, from town centres um, and how, they've, how now, now cinemas exist in retail parks outside of, outside of communities essentially and, in the, and they're kind of strapped onto this shopping centre experience which is uh, unfortunate um, but it's throwing up a lot of interesting I'm just like watching a lot of movies going to visiting different cinemas around the country and um, just very immersed in the the world of the film so um, yeah I, I went I took myself to uh, to Killarney actually to see <laughs> Top Gun Maverick and um, and yeah it was there where, as I heard the triumphant cocaine saturated notes of uh, <laughs> Highway to the Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins that I uh, I thought this would be a great top five so here we are I'm I'm really excited about it I had a lot of fun picking these out um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. There were a few that I questioned. We'll get into it. Problematic or not, there's some, there's some humdingers in there. Um, Excellent. How did you find it, Dave? I really enjoyed it. Um, and it's, it's yet another example of one that we could do 10 times over. I expect we will do a sequel to this because how do you pick just five? And the five I've picked were the five that kind of made, you know, they made the strongest case for me within the time frame of putting this together. Um, I think I've got a killer top five. I'm very happy with it. Nice. But um, can I, I just say, I by the way... I have a strong suspicion I'm going to know one of them. Okay, well, let's hold off is, until we yeah, get to anyway, the top five. We'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it's the yeah, because of course, again, if you're a new listener for the very first time, maybe you're a friend of Mark's and you're like, "I better check out this rubbish podcast he's on." Uh, it turns out, actually, you're wrong, listener. It's a great podcast. But here's the thing: uh, the gimmick of the top five is that I don't know what Mark's picked. He doesn't know what I've picked. Only Adam Shanahan holds the knowledge and indeed the relevant audio clips. So that's coming later in the show. No album review this week because again, super tight for time. The week that's in it again. Mark has stepped up to the plate. Thank you very much for doing so. Uh, one thing, though, I have to say, I that sounds like a fucking incredible thesis. Where do I sign up? Yeah, it's 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 more. It's it, that was kind of the jumping off point, and I have to create like a series of artworks. You know, it, it being a practical art based masters, so it is morphing into um, a lot of kind of a lot of kind of like experimental video pieces that are sort of themed around nostalgia and. Hauntology, which is this idea that we are continuously haunted by the uh, by the memories and the ghosts of our past. So uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff popping up, and I'm actually really enjoying it. Um, so I will possibly find a way to work this all into some sort of upcoming Royal Yellow work. Um, I haven't quite got that far yet, but there is there is definitely sounds being created as part of it as well as video and there's going to be an exhibition later in the summer at some point i'm trying to get like i'm trying to get a disused cinema space here in limerick to potentially do it as a kind of a site specific thing so yeah it's it's nice i'm feeling very switched on um where, I mean, where do you man, sign up uh i mean i, I send I, me like, envelopes I, of cash <laughs> I genuinely want to uh, pivot this podcast into this entire subject matter. This is firing all the synapses in my brain. But if you want to send envelopes of cash anywhere, listener, it is, of course, patreon.com slash no encore. Adam Shanahan is clapping in the background. He's doing it again every every week. Independent podcast. We could use all the help we can get. It helps keep the lights on on the show. There is some bonus content, of course. There are episodes up there. You know, our monthly recommends corner, a couple Q and A episodes, episode previews, this playlist, etc. As always, stressed. You know, independent podcast. We do what we can extra where possible. We push it to the limit, (laughs) Maverick from Top Gun style, and we appreciate all the support that we've had to date and continue to have. Thank you so so much to everyone who does pay on Patreon and, and, and get involved there. And of course, anyone who just listens to the show, like we say every week, please tell someone about the show. Always good to have new listeners. And I guess before we move on to the new section, let's talk Primavera, because you were there. So yeah. how was it for you? Oh, it was a whirlwind. It was a whirlwind. Uh, so we should, let's get the, let's get the, horrific part out of the way first shall we um i know you spoke a little bit about this on the podcast last week um i think listeners will probably be no stranger to uh the bumping into craig on a night out yeah i know like it can go either way let's be honest just an absolute disaster um (laughs) i mean when did he start spiking people it was so weird 
Um, I don't no, know. Uh, yeah, so like we got in, like, look, this is my fourth time going to Primavera. And so we have a crew that we kind of go with every year. Um, and so the, the, the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed kind of like we're getting in at like four o'clock in the day and we're staying until seven in the morning. Those days are long gone. We're, we're, we, we look at it now as a marathon rather than a sprint. And so what we typically do is like, we'll go for a nice dinner. We'll like hang out on the beach during the day. We will just do things that are not connected to Primavera. And then we might wander in around eight o'clock at night and just go at it. Uh, so that was exactly what we did on the first day. Um, probably about nine or nine thirty by the time we finally uh, left our jars of sangria and fell down La Ramblas in the direction of uh, Parkdale Forum. Um, only to be start get only to be like inundated with messages from friends that were already there about how this was like fire festival reincarnated that like <laughs> toilet queues were like an hour long that people couldn't get a drink that they had run out of water um, that it was just incredibly oversold to the point of being like potentially being like a health and safety hazard um, so that scared the fucking Jesus out of us um, we got we got into a cab anyway we headed down we figured we'd go and take our chances uh got out of the cab only to discover that um friend of the show lewis jackson uh former bandmate of mine from enemies uh his phone was just gone so our mind immediately raced to that like barcelona being kind of an infamous city for pickpocketing and someone had just lifted it out of his tote bag uh we went to the ticket desk big long queue for like problems like that because his ticket is on his phone so um Oh he Jesus! Yeah. For a while, you know, eventually got served by like a a volunteer staff member who was clearly like out of her mind, <laughs> high <laughs> on on something, um, and was just like asking us where we were from in Ireland and telling us about the times she visited Ireland and all the cr- all the cracks <laughs> she had in Docky. So we're just like trying to get in. She can't figure out the system at all. Her supervisor has to keep coming over. Um, eventually, we get in, and it's like. It's as it's fucking rammed, um, and we know that like anywhere in the vicinity of like the main stage is, is just going to be hell. So, having been there in previous years, there's a stage down the back that generally houses like death metal and like your your pals, the armed, were playing down there. Ah, oh, um, my boys. Yeah, and I also later in the weekend would see like Napalm Death and Lightning Bolt down there. So we were like, let's go down there because that's not going to be the armed is not going to be like more packed than Charlie XCX. So we went down there. It was actually grand. The queues were fine. We, we, we were able to get a drink. Um, we were able to, you know, settle in and sort of just like get our bearings. Um, I had this like horrible, horrible, anxious feeling in my stomach of just like, like, like in that Woodstock 99 documentary where people just start <laughs> talking about like when Limp Bizkit came on and it just changed. Um, fortunately, it actually... Post Charlie XEX, post Tame Impala, hordes and hordes and hordes of people who had come in to see those bands started leaving. And it actually started to become like a manageable festival experience. We wandered over to Pavement um, and that was just an incredible turning point. Like Pavement were absolutely incredible. There was this incredible joy in the air. The band seemed to be having the best time ever. Uh, I feel like I'm lingering way too long. On I, I've only gotten to like band number one, but yeah. No, no, no. From, listen, I mean, like, Craig, point. Craig isn't here, man. You know, like, like his his report is two weeks overdue at this stage. Come on. Matt, well, I, I I I spoke to Crave about this. Crave, Crave. <laughs> it, it's Craven. Metal Craig. When Craig is at pavement, we oh, call him Craven. 
Um, but yeah, we spoke about it. We both had a wonderful time at that. That was a real turning point on on night one, um, which was was heading, which was looking like it was going to be an absolute disaster. Um, fast forward, then a couple of beers later, I'm at Black Midi, a band who I have never ever cared for in the slightest loved loved the review episode on their last album um medieval medieval tavern, tavern yeah owner. um <laughs> so wandered over my mates wanted to see them i had no interest it's just i find it's just difficult music to listen to um and uh had the fucking time of my life loved it was exactly what i needed like totally <laughs> cathartic after the stress and the anxiety of like the uncertainty of the first half of the night they came out swing dancing with each other to like some old swing song and then just launched into like this hour of just like 300 miles an hour insanity. Um, it was genuinely mind-blowing. It was one of the best like drum performances I've ever seen in my life. Their drummer deserves a fucking Nobel Prize. And I absolutely loved it and was converted and will still never listen to them because it's just not what I want to listen to when I'm going about my day. But live, it was a totally totally different beast and i absolutely loved it um okay so i'm just going to cut now to other like notable acts uh during the weekend low were amazing dj shadow was absolutely incredible um caroline polichek doing a cores cover of breathless, breathless? Was yeah yeah fucking like otherworldly uh lightning bolt were amazing napalm death were great Beach House was just an absolute living dream um i actually went to see beach house in dublin two weeks before Ate a really strong weed jelly, had the worst <laughs> night of my life. So it was wonderful to be able to go and see them again and have a really good time. Um, so yeah, there you go. Incredible! What a what a, what a what a cogent report. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to. Oh, Adam, you go yeah, first. Yeah, I just want to quickly say I think that's already made like the top moments of the of the year, twenty twenty two. Like that whole monologue was just fantastic. Thank you very that's much. Beautiful cravement. Oh my god. But speaking of speaking of cravement, uh, I have to ask: At what point did he surface? Had you prearranged meeting up with Craig? Did he appear like a mirage out of nowhere? Uh, I, I need to know how, how this oh, all man. went down. It was like I had this. I think I had this like. I had this going with about four friends who were at Primavera, like where it's just like you're constantly on WhatsApp going like, hey, man, are you going to check out Caribou? And it's like, yeah, yeah, we'll be front left. And then you get there and there's like 80,000 people. And you're like, <laughs> Hold up your phone, bro. <laughs> like this was just constant. I was in a group with 30 people from Limerick um, and this was just constant. So there were there was a whole like like 36 hours of like attempting to meet up with Craig before we actually finally, finally uh, found each other, which was post Caribou, I think on the Saturday, on the second night, the Friday night. I'm picturing, I'm picturing just two handsome boys running across the concourse oh, and hugging. Man, That's what I'm picturing. Singing, can't do without you, just hollering <sighs> it out to each other. Uh, it was great. He was very chill, as Craig always is. He's just like, hey, hey, man. And we went, it was like, you know, pretty late at this point. His sister had, had gone home. So we took him under our wing. Uh, we got him a couple of whiskeys, spiked him with COVID. And, um, <laughs> I don't know, probably talked about The Simpsons a lot. And, and yeah, I actually kind of, we just went deep into like nerding out then uh, at that point. Yeah. It was just, talked it was about just how me, amazing... Amazing Dave Hanratty is. Yeah, I assume that was the it. crux of the conversation. Of yeah, of course. Yeah, clock, clocked in about thirty thousand steps from the point of where I met Craig to the end of the night. Um, it is a it is a massive massive festival. It's very very. It's easy an experience. To, uh, get the steps. Hanging in. out with Craig is is, is an experience. It was uh, great. Craig I loved will be it. It was great Craig, seeing him. 
Craig will be back next week, I promise, listener. Um, if not, uh, I'll, I'll have him... I'll, I'll just... I'll, I'll suspend him from the show if he doesn't return next week, okay? Oh, yeah. That just means he's gone for another week. Think <laughs> Is he not in Sheffield <laughs> checking out the yeah. strokes or something? <laughs> he's going he's gone to Glasgow to check out the strokes pretty soon. Um, that's all ahead of us, as is most of the show. Uh, I realise we've been talking for quite some time, but it's, you know, you've been on for a while. And I say one last piece of business before we move on real quick. It's been about a year, right, since the release of the Magnificent Still Until EP yes. by Royal Yellow. Thank you. So yes. yeah. go check that out if you haven't checked it out, listener. And also, real quick, uh, I know you're very busy going to the movies all the time, but... Uh, new music coming soon, maybe, possibly, hopefully. I mean, un- unless uh, unless this thesis project somehow turns into a concept album, uh, which is which is a possibility. Um, but I have been like very much just uh, buried in like making sonic art, <laughs> like not making not making music in the, in the traditional sense, but making making sort of works as part of a as part of a weird artistic academic endeavor. So some of it will probably end up being something. Um, and look, my last release was like 12 minute long song, so it can't be any more up its own hold than that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's what, that's what we can look forward to. A great 12 minute long song. Well, listen, we go from Sonic Art to our Sonic Architect. Adam, it's time for the new section, but could you kick things off a little differently, please? I prepared a clip for our lead news story. It's a sad story, but let's pay... Great respect to a great singer. So that is Falling, the song by Julie Cruz and Twin Peaks composer Angelo Badalamenti. Julie Cruz passed away last week. The news only broke on Friday after the show had already come out. And obviously, you know, if you listen to No Encore, you know how much we are obsessed with Twin Peaks and the world of David Lynch, of which Julie Cruz was a huge part of. She was 65 years of age. Uh, She'd been ill for a number of years. In the end, she died by suicide. It's a very sad story. Her husband confirmed the news and said she's left this world on her own terms. Um, Like I say, an artist who is for ever tied to the work of David Lynch. I think she kind of came of age with them on Blue Velvet, possibly, and then, you know, ended up working. That's her singing over, like, the signature theme tune to Twin Peaks and so much more. She would appear on the show over the years, a career in her own right, of course. Uh, she was a member of the B-52s. She toured with them throughout the 90s as a stand-in for Cindy Wilson. Uh, David Lynch was talking about her this week. Uh, of course, he, you know, took to YouTube and just said that he only found out about the news. About the great Julie Cruz passing away, very sad news. Might be a good time to appreciate all the good music she made remember that as well as being a great musician she was a great singer and a great human being so yeah just real quick I didn't want the show to pass by without saying fucking rest in power Julie Cruz you were amazing thank you for the music and the memories and uh, yeah I'll always be obsessed with Twin Peaks hearing that that, that musical notes those musical notes rather always stops me in my tracks and her vocals on the song Falling in line with that was absolutely amazing but moving on as we must with the news section uh, we go from the sublime in terms of art and pop culture to the ridiculous um, Joker 2. They're making Joker 2. Uh, Joker 2, now it's a musical, I guess. Um, Mark, where do you stand on Todd Phillips and Walking Phoenix Laugh a Minute Romp Joker from a few years ago? Oh, that was a tough, that was a tough one. Uh, yeah, God, I was thinking about it today. Um, like that, I think I 
all I think I sort of knew that film was doomed from the start, but there was so much hype around it that I wanted I really wanted to believe that it was going to be absolutely exceptional, especially because Joaquin Phoenix has such a phenomenal hit rate and seems like a really good choice. And I think actually inhabited that character really well. But it wasn't his I guess it wasn't his fault that the movie was such a train wreck in my eyes. Um, it was just it was just a mess, wasn't it? Uh, so People love it, though. So People love it. Like, just incredibly on the nose. Um, like all the subtlety of a fucking of a of a of a explosion. Reversing a dump truck factory. without any tires on. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like the, even just the joke, like the Joker holding a gun was just something that it just didn't that just didn't feel right to me like joker is too sophisticated a villain to just whip out a gun and shoot someone in the head sorry for uh, spoilers for a movie spoilers for uh, uh, it, it made over a billion dollars which is inexplicable um he won the oscar for best actor and everyone was like it's like taxi driver bro and i'm like no it wasn't but whatever we're not here to debate the merits of that the point is uh, despite our best efforts mark it's getting a sequel it is happening mm. todd phillips has been teasing this he put up a script on his instagram with walking things reading called Joker Folle which I think we can all agree that Folle Boy did, did that better but um, the big news apart from it being apparently a fucking musical um, which I'm not actually against but we'll get to that is that reportedly the Hollywood Reporter had the story this week that Lady Gaga is in talks to play Harley Quinn how do you feel about that and the fact that it could be a musical oh I mean I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. The musical thing I'm genuinely so intrigued by. Um, like, it seems like such an insane term. To be honest, if they do it, like, Joker is all about insanity and his world should feel kind of insane. So I'm kind of on board with that aspect of it. Um, with Lady Gaga, no, I'm so, so done with Lady Gaga. Has, has she won an Oscar yet? Is this just still, is this just Lady Gaga's, like, hunt for the Oscar it is, I would say so. She was nominated She was nominated for A Star Is Born, did not win. She certainly tried to get nominated for House of Gucci with an endless press campaign for that, and she was not nominated, and rightly so, because I thought she was very good in A Star Is Born, but as good as she was in that movie, I thought she was horrendous in House of Gucci. So yeah, she's chasing this for sure. And look, like Lady Gaga, she's a super talent. She's actually, of course... Sings the the theme song to Top Gun Maverick, so it's all tying in here nicely. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think she can obviously she can obviously do a musical in her sleep. I think her being as part of the production can only help the production because like she's got experience with that kind of thing, and I wouldn't trust Todd Phillips to tell me the fucking time, let alone put together a, a great musical. At the same time, though, I agree with you. The Joker's world is meant to be chaotic. Wouldn't shouldn't your second movie be very different in that regard? Yeah. However, I just don't think that the material will be good enough. And the one thing I will say is I think it will piss off the fans mm-hmm. who loved the first one. And I've already seen a lot of the comments being like, there's fucking classic, leave it alone. Yeah, Cause yeah. they can't stand the idea of some kind of, you know, musical. What? No, not for me. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it's really camp. I hope it like totally rips up the real book of like the dark superhero lore that sort of, that Christopher Nolan sort of started and that we're so used to now. And I hope it's just like that episode, that musical episode of Scrubs where <laughs> a good time song and dance hour and a half. Um, with, with lots of violence, people getting shot in the face. Yeah, um, yeah lots in, more guns. Uh, yeah, no, I'm probably, I'm probably not going to go see this. 
Oh, um, I'll go see it because I am intrigued by the musical element. But yeah, I mean, didn't we say all we needed to say with uh, angry societal clown movie, the first one? Yeah. No? It'd be nice to see Joaquin Phoenix singing and dancing again, though. I mean, after Walk the Line, it's been a while. That was a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was a TV movie. That sucked. I've never seen that in cinema and being like, this is the most boring fucking movie. Oh, um, loved it. It's been a long time, though. It's been a long well, time. Well... If Lady Gaga was to not end up doing this role, how about Phoebe Bridgers? Because she, of course, has been doing new interviews. She's touring at the moment. I believe she's due over here on Monday, possibly. Um, Marley Park, maybe? Or is it one of those? St. Anne's, Fairview? Uh, Saint An- yeah, Fairview, I think, isn't it? It's one of them, yeah. I don't know. I've yeah. lost, you know, my my park knowledge is is, 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 is lacking, guys. Yeah. So up on your park life, Dave. I will, I will, yeah. Uh, she is due over. She has spoken about her new track, Sidelines, which is a contribution to the soundtrack of Conversations with Friends, Sally Rooney's latest TV jaunt, which is not getting anywhere near the buzz that normal people did. An absolute clown um, show. Uh, which one? <laughs> Conversations with Friends. Is it? <laughs> I try. I mean, I watched, the, I watched the first two episodes and, oh my God, it was like watching paint dry. Wait, didn't you have a song in Normal People? Uh, Am I wrong? I mean, we don't need to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this man. I told it's you I was going to put you on the spot. Lainey Abramson only directed one episode of Conversations with Friends. Um, okay, all right, fine. It's a, it's a different show, but it's very much trying to just recreate exactly what Normal People was. But it's it's almost like it's had all of the charm, just like vacuum sucked out of it. Um, yeah. yeah, well... Phoebe Bridgers has been um, <clears throat> talking up a storm about this new song and she said that, it like because people have said like, it's a bit more upbeat and she said I'm striving to do more stuff like that. It's more challenging and to sound smart and to write well about happiness than it is about sadness. In the interest of not seeming trite, I lean toward darker subject matter just out of comfort and I think a challenge to myself now is being articulate about things that are good um, so yeah, she disagrees with you though. She, she, said, she said she really loved the Sally Rooney books and thinks that the lead character Conversations with Friends reflects her intimately but you know we've already trashed the show um, what do you think of the idea of Phoebe Bridges making happy music and also the idea of an artist and from your own point of view I mean like you know do you find yourself in a position where that is harder to write about being upbeat or to a different kind of emotion like you know like like it's I, we talk all the time about wanting people to come out of their comfort zone but I think sometimes we also want the same but different you know quote unquote from an artist so what is what she's saying did it hit does it, does it, does it resonate with you this idea this difficulty in writing happy music or or any kind or even just like going like in a full 180 direction yeah i mean like an artist like phoebe bridges yeah i, I yeah i mean she definitely has a style and, and I, I i do respect her for trying to sort of break out of the like the mopey uh midwestern emo vibe that she that she does so well um i mean i I'm very, very bad at writing happy songs. I'm very like any time I've ever done it, it's been it's been a bit of a spectacular failure. Um, I mean, it's a difficult thing to pull off, isn't it? Like, I mean, like happy music is great, but it's often so nicely complemented by like deeply depressing lyrics, um, some of which we'll get into in the top five. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Pushing yourself out of your comfort zone always a good thing. 
Uh, fair play to her. Yeah, two thumbs up to me. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about here. <laughs> well, who does? I mean, like, I, I mean, like, it's a tricky one because I, I, I don't. Fee Bridges' music. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's very. It's known for being super emotional, and she's in that weird zone where obviously she attracts stands who want. You know, I want to cry at the Phoebe Bridges gig. You know, so it's like the idea of some kind of like you know. And now, float on by Phoebe Bridges. You know, <laughs> like I, I, I just don't know. Well, I mean, she's ever since she started dating. A heartthrob Connell from normal people. I mean, how could you not be happy? I, I expect, Paul a, Mescal, I expect of a, course. a Marvin Gaye style let's get it on record uh, with nothing but a pair of O'Neill's shorts gracing the cover. Well, <clears throat> I've, um, I've uh, my, 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 my throat got all dry there for a second. Um, it's, it's the cold it's I've had all week, for, everybody. I've got a horrible... I've got a horrible head cold. I've been fucking smothered this week and I was convinced I'd reacquired COVID, but technically it should be too soon. I've been testing though, testing negative, but I've had a, I've had a bad run. I, I would actually probably put it down to the fact that I went on a week long holiday, two long haul flights, boozing every single fucking night, came home, terrible jet lag. And then last week I got biblically rained on three times in the space of about two hours. So I was like, yeah, that'll probably do it. That'll probably set me down. But um, luckily, you know, we can just go listen to Phoebe Bridgers, you know, yeah. and have a good time. Well, you look great. Or, thanks, man. Um, <laughs> I feel terrible. I feel like a fucking warmed up corpse. But um, again, I mean, you know, maybe it's time to go for comfort zones. Like, you know, Muse, they used to be fun. <laughs> Once upon yeah, a time. Origin of Symmetry, absolute banger. It is. It's a great record. Um, Matt Bellamy, though, I think they have a new one coming. Sounds more like a more like a threat than anything. Uh, he t- <laughs> spoke to Enemy this week and said that society wants a new type of revolution. So, uh, following the coronavirus pandemic, the war in Ukraine, and the current cost of living crisis, the frontman said he believes change is coming. Uh, I think everyone knows we want a revolution, but we definitely don't want a bunch of authoritarian uh, authoritarian lunatics from the right. That's the last thing we want. He told Enemy, and we don't want a total communist situation on the hard left either. I think what we want is something completely new. <laughs> I I don't think it exists out there at the moment, but there's new type politics that could emerge. I would call it metacentrism. Mm. It's an oscillation between liberal, libertarian values for individuals, your social life, the ability to be whatever gender you are, all that kind of stuff. But then more socialist on things like land ownership, nature, energy distribution. It's the oscillation between the two poles. So, uh, rich man has ideas. Mm. Um, Good is, is is what I took I from that. You know, stuff. Do you know when I came out my front door this morning, there was a. A relatively sort of haggard-looking man uh, standing at my gate who... T- was a Matt Bellamy? Well, this is what I'm wondering now, because he was asking me if I've checked the news and telling me that we're in big trouble and uh, that in two weeks all the oil's going to be gone. And, uh, um, and yeah, now it's just starting to sort of make sense now that this may well have been Matt Bellamy. And were you like, um, I'm writing a thesis about the cinema, mate? Yeah, leave me I- be, man. <laughs> 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 uh, sorry. Yeah, go on. How did you diffuse this situation? I, 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 I he asked know. me in a, in a gorgeous Limerick accent. He said, um, uh, are you economically literate? Um, Was it Blind Boy? <laughs> <laughs> who, who would know, man? Who would know? I suppose, yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen his face. Um, no, the bag, was, the bag was off. I mean, it's hard to know. Um, but he asked me if I was economically literate, to which I replied defensively, yes. Which I'm, which I'm <laughs> most absolutely not. Um, and then just proceeded to say, well, and it actually genuinely got to me. He was like, have you checked the news? 
oh my god you won't believe it um, and I was genuinely like oh shit what's happened like am I going to open up my phone here and see like World War 3 or the greatest recession since the 1920s but no there was nothing um, as he was walking away he turned away he turned around and said one last thing he goes and if you're vaccinated forget about it double trouble <laughs> <laughs> What the fuck? So at this point, I thought I was like, okay, maybe this guy isn't. Uh, yeah. Isn't so you're uh, you're well, meeting yeah. this guy for a pint after the after the recording here, are you? Totally, Just, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. We're going to listen to uh, drones by Muse. <laughs> Just two men yeah. setting the world to rights. I love it. Exactly. Uh, um, this Matt Bellamy interview is mental. Like, it's like, why are we asking Matt Bellamy about politics? I don't like it. Um, but to be fair, maybe we do need a revolution. Maybe we need a musical revolution, much like punk. In the 70s, or whatever it was, uh, Sex Pistols. John Lydon has criticised his former Sex Pistols bandmate's new Danny Boyle show called Pistol, which has been on Disney Plus for a couple of weeks now. And by all accounts, right, I haven't seen it. But I haven't seen it. I've, I've seen nothing but people say that this is a terrible programme. Mm-hmm. Have you watched it? No, no, I'd have no interest. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no. Apparently it's fucking awful. But yeah, so he's been warring against his former bandmates for quite some time and said, he, you know, we said that this show is a, a middle class fantasy that bears little resemblance to the truth. And he, he was greenlit without his consent. He wants nothing to do with it. I also desperately hope that he's not involved. Like the, the Sex Pistols like a week ago put up a tweet being like, we're doing an NFT. And it was like, really, the Sex Pistols are doing a fucking NFT. OK, yeah, yeah. good stuff. The Jubilee, Dave. Um, <laughs> here's the thing, right? Sex Pistols. Sex Pistols came out at a time, like, their their rise to stardom was all captured on television. Like, those, like, it's legendary TV. All of the clips are there to watch on YouTube. And, like, say what you will about them as people or about their music, like, they were a thrill to watch. Like, when they were going on Bill Grundy and cursing and drinking cans and, and telling them where to shove it, like, it was thrilling television. So... Why do we need a remake of that? It's all, we've seen it. It's all there. It all exists. Um, yeah, this just seems like like how I, I don't see a world in which it can be heightened. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, Mark makes a good point. They were, in fact, the Fontaines DC of their day. But John Lydon has said, having not watched the television show, he watched the trailer for the show. And he said to The Guardian, it's dead against everything that we once stood for. The only thing you've got to value in your life, you want, you want to cheapen that because you want an extra fiver. Not much of a human being there. Uh, it's karaoke, the way we're talking, you know, it's all bollocks. So yeah, he's not into it whatsoever. But again, like I say, I think the the world is on his side here. By all accounts, it's a bad show. Yeah. Um. But he's doing stuff with Public Image Limited these days, anyway. Yeah, so he's yeah. he, he's doing fine. Famous margarine you know. advocate uh, John Lydon, there, uh, <laughs> shockingly unhappy about something in the world. That just translates I mean, look, as he's not getting a big enough paycheck from this show. That is usually how it goes. Yeah. Um. But to Hollywood next, or maybe the independent world of of the entire world of cinema, we don't know, for our top five. Um, It is, of course, top five movie, opening, credits, music. I think that makes sense grammatically. It might not. I did stress over it, as I always do with these titles. Craig's better at the title than I am, to be fair. You'd miss him. I miss him. Mm, Come back, mm. Craig. I was thinking roll credits, but that kind of sounds like the end rather than the beginning, doesn't it? Um, it could work for both. It could work for both. Um, so before we get to our top five, we didn't go best and worst now. I think we're focusing on stuff that actually gives us the charge or provokes something within us. Or in some cases in mine, it's very much a case of like, you know, you're going to watch a certain kind of movie. Um, with my own top five, I will say 
Um, actually, you know what? Fuck it. Let, let's get in the mood here. Let's set the tone properly. Adam, I prepared some music. If you could throw this as a bed or, or, or a clip or maybe we'll talk over it. I don't know. Hit it. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's outrageous. It's powerful. It's, it's Harold Faltermeyer. It's the Top Gun theme, which appears in both Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. That plays before Highway to the Danger. Sorry, just listen to this nonsense. Oh, so good. It just makes you want to shoot down nameless, nameless countryless enemies. enemies in a, <laughs> in a F-18. In nameless territories. Do you think that they took that out? Do you think they had a named enemy in that film and then they were just like, no, we can't? Global box office, mate. We don't want to have, we, we don't identify yeah. anyone or offend anybody. It. I thought, I, I, like, honestly, didn't feel the movie suffered at all. Not knowing No, sure, even in the first one, there isn't like a, you know, there isn't like a direct counterpart to, to this guy. Yeah. You know, it's just, it kind of is what it is. I was at the but, um, with my dad and he just kept turning <coughs> to me and nudging me and going, it's Russia. It's Russia, isn't it? It's definitely Russia. It's definitely, <laughs> your man, look at him, big Russian head in him. Definitely Russia. That's Russia. <laughs> it did look Siberian, I will say, where, 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 wherever they went to. But, you know, we won't spoil the movie anymore. The movie, because I, I was talking to a friend of the show, Richard Chambers, he went to see it. And he was saying how, like, oh, the, the build-up, like, you know, like, there is a lot of repetition in that build-up, but, like, once it actually gets to the, the the actual stuff at the end, it's fucking amazing. And I was like, yeah, I was like, it's like learning to beat a video game boss or something, mm-hmm. like, you know, which worked perfectly for me. And like I say, I did go see it twice, because I went to see it in Toronto, and then when I was in, I was in Drogheda last weekend, I wanted to go see a movie with my brother and with my nephew, and there really wasn't that many options, and I was like, oh, fuck it, I'd go again. It's only been 10 days, mm-hmm. and I kind of had a couple of, there's a couple of things. So first of all, I went in, queued up, and the lady behind the counter in the cinema was like uh i only have like you know three rows from the front left and i was like yeah whatever i've fucking seen it it's fine Uh, so so we went in sat down and it was grand like it was a bit like "Mm, i don't know but then as soon as the film began right and the credits rolled and like tom cruise walks on the screen the fucking fire alarm went off in the screen and of course, my brother, my, my, my brother turned to me and he was like, watch this. No one's going to fucking move. And I went, yeah, I was like, Alan, I was like, some of these people have been waiting 33 years to see this film. <laughs> but yeah, the fire alarm went off and I was like, oh man. And I was like, yeah, because the film is just too fucking rad, bro. Too but um, too hot, too hot for cinema. I will say my, any qualms I had about going to see it again quite quickly were quickly, uh, erased in a hail of jet engine mm. flurry because I was like this film rules I think it's great um, now with this top five what I did was I deliberately didn't I, I picked stuff that was written for the film so I didn't pick a song mm. like you know I thought about say like you know across 110th street for Jackie Brown but I wanted to just pick original music that was written for a movie and that's what it's there for etc which isn't to suggest that the other way is wrong there is no wrong way I think if you <laughs> I, I didn't pick I mean like maybe this is one of the ones that you're going to guess but I didn't pick Trent Reznor and Karen O from The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo which is an amazing amazing intro sequence mm-hmm. but I didn't pick that so yeah I tried to be diverse in places I think um, you, you won't have picked my prediction then uh, if, it's, if okay. it's all original score work well let's um, wait and see yeah. unless you want to yeah no, we'll, we'll get to that we'll as we go see. as for your strategies mentions at the end 
<laughs> what was your what was your strategy on this? Because you said uh, you had fun doing it. Yeah, I just went with my gut. Some of it was inspired by like I just went on like a family holiday to Kerry there for a couple of days. So some of it was inspired by just like dumb nostalgic watching that we did like at our like like rental gaff in Kerry. Um, some of it is just like all time great score music. Um, yeah, just like title sequences in particular, like some of it is just like how it artistically lends to like a nicely graphic kind of well-realized title sequence. Yeah, we'll get into it. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Uh, you're our honored guest, so uh, I'll go for it. No, <laughs> actually, no, no. I think I will go first, though, because simply because it means that you get to finish it. You get like you, you get to have the end credits. A, yeah, the finish yeah. is a big one. So, yeah. That See, there you go. To me. Plus, I wanted to kind of set the tone here. Now, I've picked a problematic movie, but I think it's a great movie. And I think that this is one of the most... Oh, I, it's just such a pulse, it's such a charge, and I fucking love it. So here's my number five. know what that is i have no idea what that is no not a clue okay uh that is uh i, I believe it's called who is tyler durden it is the uh, intro music to fight club from 1999 by the dust brothers uh, who composed an incredible soundtrack to that movie easy mike and king gizmo um they've been around since the 80s but i must confess outside of this i don't really know a lot of what they've done and they had a weird history with the chemical brothers because apparently like the dust brothers name and trademark was used by the chemical brothers um as a homage to them but they wanted the dust brothers to sell them their name Mm -hmm. that didn't happen so they changed to the chemical brothers they eventually kind of reached some kind of understanding and they worked together like i think (laughs) dust brothers did a remix for them at some point um so they've had a very interesting career and i don't quite know how prolific and active they've been in in a mainstream sense and like fight club is a major studio movie but it was yeah did that beastie boys album paul's boutique which is is that right just like an outrageous amount of samples great record they're credited for some work on imbop by hansen surely that's a fake thing yeah (laughs) that sounds right yeah because it has that like very sample heavy kind of like almost mashup production on it possibly did Hmm. stuff with beck if i'm they did yeah they worked on uh midnight vultures and odelay and guero uh paul's boutique yeah yeah it's all here heavy hitters heavy hitters heavy movie um Major studio movie was a flop, though. Uh, kind of had its legs on VHS and DVD, I believe. Fight Club did, but I, the music in that movie is incredible. It sets such a tone. It's perfectly judged. I love it. I was obsessed with it. I was obsessed with the movie. I still think the movie's excellent. I know it has attracted a lot of controversy over the years. I maintain, from my point of view, that it's by people who've misread the text of the film and unfortunately just thought it was some kind of bro, you know 
alpha male dickhead fantasy I always read to me as an absolute critique of that behaviour and how stupid men can be granted you know you got Brad Pitt 1999 going around looking like the coolest guy of all time but I always took it as a satire and I think it's a great great film and it, it annoys me to this day that people are like oh Fight Club man that's a red flag I'm like I think it's a great fucking movie and I think it starts amazingly obviously ends amazingly with Pixies and Where Is My Mind where do you stand on the motion picture Fight Club? I think it's great and yeah I think it like I remember being a kid and like it being on TV late at night like on RTE as like a midweek movie or something and everyone in my school all of a sudden deciding that we were like totally misinterpreting the point of this movie deciding that we were going to start a fight club uh, you know two, for two weeks my, I just watched my friends kick the fucking lumps out of each other while I sat on the side probably reading a Harry Potter book um, <laughs> but yeah I always thought that it was a really smart like uh, representation of like the crisis that happens in a society where like where people are just sort of neutered by by their careers and by their mundane lives and uh, and a really kind of interesting look at like that animal expression that like needs to come out when you sort of when you sort of strip people of their souls um you know i thought i always thought it was a great film yeah loved it um wasn't it also chosen by you for end credits it must have been, yeah. I'm probably making the same argument once again. But listen, as Mark says, we do in fact live in a society. Uh, what is your number five, sir? <laughs> Famously, famous Mark quote there. Um, all right, let's, <laughs> yeah, well, let's go back to the society of the 1980s in good old-fashioned England. <laughs> Okay, so that was uh, Toots and the Natals with 5436. Oh my God, I'm, I'm definitely getting the number wrong. Was my number um, as featured in Shane Meadows' incredible 2006 film, This Is England. Um, opening titles, obviously, as is the brief, uh, depicts a kind of a montage of the UK at the time, the Thatcher era, Princess Diana and Prince Charles getting married, all the glamour of television and BBC and Top of the Pops, and then juxtaposes it up against the war in the Falklands, uh, riots, uh, the National Front, all sorts of crises and, and sort of like um, crises of the working class British uh citizens happening under the Thatcher government um, tease up the the film just wonderfully in terms of creating that world uh, particularly because you know we then kind of get greeted with the opening scene of um, Lil Sean whose father has passed away in the Falklands War um, I love the song it was my first introduction to Toots and the Maytals and indeed this song apparently written about um, the number that uh, Toots himself was uh, given when he was jailed for marijuana possession, so 5436, uh, that was his number. Yeah, um, have you seen This Is England, Dave? Have you heard this song before? Thoughts? Um, 
I have seen this song, seen this song, seen this film and heard the song. Yes, I saw this movie in the cinema when it came out in 2006. I think I saw it in the, the IFI or maybe the screen, possibly even the Savoy. I can't remember, but it was definitely on my, you know, getting on a bus and going to Dublin to go see a cool new movie type situation. And I, I actually have never seen the film since because I found it to be such a heavy and harrowing and singular experience that I don't know if it would have the same effect on me a second time. And I should say as well... It closes with an incredible piece of music as well, a cover of Please, Please, Let Me Get What I Want by The Smiths. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a hell of a film. It's a boiling pressure cooker of a movie. And when it finally goes off, it's extremely difficult to watch, but in it, in an incredibly artful and very respectful and brilliantly realized way. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think a song like this absolutely takes you into the time frame of it perfectly. Mm Absolutely, yeah. Shane Meadows is great for soundtracks across pretty much all of his work, and the, the This Is England series have, that they've done throughout the years have, have had amazing features as well. Um, he And this song kind of perfectly does that thing, that Shane Meadows trick, where it sort of lures you into a false sense of security, only to pull the fucking rug from underneath you maybe two-thirds of the way through the film. Yeah, that, 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 last, that last 20 minutes or so is devastating uh, and profoundly harrowing but my god like what what a film what a director and what a what a lovable troop of characters that he sort of weaves throughout it um so yeah every time i hear that song i think of uh, this fantastic film um and good old maggie thatcher <laughs> <laughs> said ironically of course uh wonderful actors though in the movie as well yeah and again a, a nice example as well of, of you know even we talked about earlier on but like you know pop music and you know like putting stuff like this song is ostensibly like i guess maybe like on a surface level put you in a good mood but you know tying into that movie which it does pull the rug in an incredible way i never watched the tv shows they did like a bunch of tv shows of course they're so good they're so good get on them yeah yeah okay i don't think shane meadows i've seen he's done a couple of other films like a room for romeo brass and Oh, he did Dead, Dead Man's Man's Shoes, Shoes, of course. Everyone like, loves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think he's put a foot wrong thus far in my book. Um, but never an easy watch when it comes to Shane Meadows. Like definitely. No, 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 no. Hits um, where it hurts. So uh, number four for me in the best movie opening credits music rundown. This one might cause some controversy. I think people would be like, what the fuck? But um, this film turned 10 years of age uh, this week, last week, I think it was. And it's a film that when I first saw it, I thought it was terrible. Uh, I, I thought it was absolutely awful. And I've gone from like one star on it to like four stars now. I've watched it a whole bunch over the, the, the preceding 10 years. It's still got a ton of problems. And even the music at first, I thought belonged in a completely different film. But now... It really transports me to an entirely different world. Adam, let's have it. So, that is, the track is called Life, and the film is called 
Prometheus. Oh, <laughs> never would have guessed that. The composer is a German composer called Mark Streitenfeld, who has actually worked quite a bit with Ridley Scott. Uh, he worked on A Good Year, American Gangster, Body of Lies, Robin Hood, Prometheus, of course, as well. Um, he's also worked on The Grey, which is a Liam Neeson film that I adore and deserves more love, in my opinion. Uh, Killing Them Softly, good movie as well. He had a hell of a run there from 2011 to 2014, or 2012, rather. Um, so Prometheus, right, um... Yeah, it's 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 a masterpiece, I think. Maybe, possibly, flawed as hell. It's got problems. Yes, I know. She could have just ran left or right at the end of the movie. Why did she run in a straight line? All that kind of jazz. But I find myself going back to this movie uh, and I find myself just being like, I love this. Mm-hmm. I adore the first hour. I would agree that the problems mount once it kicks off a bit. But I, I don't know. There's something about it, man. And I find myself watching the... Uh, the three and a half hour accompanying documentary, which is called Furious Gods, which I would recommend everyone go and see. It's brilliant. Yeah. Breaks down into all kinds of different methods of, you know, casting and uh, practical effects and music and visuals and blah, 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 blah. And it's great. It's like a filmmaker's tool book, you know, like, like or a toolkit rather. Um, yeah, look, it's a film that I completely understand why people would be like, no, it sucks. It has no redeeming features whatsoever. But I am a sucker for sci-fi. I love how this film looks. Mm-hmm. I love the feeling I have, particularly in that first hour. Mm-hmm. And I do think that Mark Straitenfeld's music goes an awful long way. And I love the motif in this. Even like I said, though, when I first saw this, I was very much like, this feels like a Superman theme. This feels like it should be in something more hopeful. It it, it really clashed with me. I really couldn't marry it at all. But now, having seen the film a bunch of fucking times, I think it's such an important part of it. And I love it. I love the movie. Nice. Flaws, of which there are many, and all. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to go watch Prometheus again. I haven't seen it since it was in the cinema, but being not being very familiar with the lore of the alien universe, I just sort of watching it just as a standalone movie, I really enjoyed it. Particularly that first half. It was very, very intriguing premise and asked some pretty big questions about mankind and where we're where we come from and yeah I, I, yeah I it, it may great. not it may not answer those questions particularly satisfactorily but it tries and i will say michael fassbender never better for me amazing yeah, yeah robo fassbender <laughs> nice nice choice nice choice okay let's tee up uh let's go back to 2004 to another trip uh to uh dublin cinema venturing in from wicklow to something that would rock my world So that is uh, The White Stripes with uh, We Are Going to Be Friends from the title sequence of Napoleon Dynamite, uh, a film that I knew absolutely nothing about when I wandered into town uh, in 2004 to see it with my mates. I don't think I'd even seen a trailer. Um, I was totally, right from roll credits here at the beginning, totally just engrossed, confused, perplexed, enamoured. What is this world that they've created. When is this set? Who is this person? Who are these characters? Why does everything look horrible? Why is there so much food? <laughs> and why does that liger look like that? Who drew that? Um, I mean, I think like Napoleon Dynamite is a film that was sort of 
sort of maybe pastiched and copied a lot and sort of ushered in this sort of like ironic, like sort of retro nostalgic sort of weird culture of just like borrowing things from different eras and sort of stapling them together. But at the time, I'd never seen anything like this. Um, and I was just totally enamored right from right from this moment where the white stripes pop up. Um, if anyone can't remember the title sequence, it's basically just plates of food being served on a carpet. Uh, it's like tater tots and nachos and um, like lasagnas and things like that. And like there's like the titles of the cast and the producers and the director and so forth are all just spelled out with um, what's known in the biz as in, uh, environmental typography. So it's just <laughs> ketchup and mayonnaise and mustard and, you know, sauces uh, spelling out these names. Became a big trend in the design world for a long time after that as well. Um, I love it. Makes me feel very warm. Makes me feel makes me feel complete definitely need to go back and revisit the film although i am afraid that it will not have lasted uh, in the way that in uh, that it won't have, have now the staying power that it had back then so this film right uh, what you were describing there i think in many ways this is an example of something that was like a meme before we were using the word meme in every other sentence, you know, predates social media and YouTube, et cetera. But like, I know what you mean, because it felt that way. It felt like this kind of weird thing that I had already consumed by osmosis to the point where, man, and this might upset you, I haven't seen this film because I can't bring myself to see the wow. film because I feel like I missed the moment. <laughs> I missed the organic moment with this movie. Yeah, and I've seen face. the dance scene. Yeah, Adam's not happy. Mark's not happy, guys. They're, they're not pleased. It's not, not like, happy. I'm just a bit more shocked than anything else, if I'm being honest. I just, something about it just didn't appeal. Like, like I, I was just like, I just don't this would be for me. And again, I just think that I, 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 I caught it at the wrong time or I could have caught it at the wrong time or something. So, But what you're telling me is I am missing out, right? Yeah, it was definitely a sea change moment in terms of like it almost ushered in the internet. Um, and I don't think it knowingly did so, but absolutely. I mean, it's just like a million quotes, like the vote for Pedro thing was everywhere. I can totally understand why, you know, I was like that with Anchorman for a long time. Like I just could not go near Anchorman because everywhere you went, people were saying, I love Lamp. And it was just this like, just this ubiquitous, annoying meme of a of, of a of a thing that you couldn't escape. Um, another great film, but again, yeah, it's like moments like these are like lightning in a bottle and they do get picked up and like parodied and pastiched and referenced to bits. So I always think back to that day sitting in like Cineworld on Parnell Street and just having no idea what I was about to experience and the feeling of like awe and wonder at not knowing what the hell I was experiencing. Um, and that's kind of the, that's the Napoleon dynamite that I like to remember. But that's a lovely thing, though, and that's one of the things that I've always loved about going to movies and going to the cinema and the cinema experience when it's not ruined, for whatever reason, by, by outside interference, when you do genuinely go somewhere else, and I fucking adore it. Mm -hmm. So for this, though, we're going back to a different era, Dave's favourite era, the mid-90s, the VHS era, and this intro, which, and I, I, I have... For audio, like, I, I have, like, audio from the movie as well, as this starts up, as the credits are hitting the screen. <laughs> this is peak, peak 90s, and I think that it tells you that in this construction. Adam, please. Congressman Weaver and esteemed members of the Special Armed Services Committee, I come before you to protest a grave injustice. Ed! 
great. <laughs> I, love the, I, I don't know whether you edit these down for the actual podcast or not, but I love that Dave's clips are like two minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> now, in fairness, I think we're going to try and test the waters here on this one, but we'll see what happens. Adam will make the call, but I, I, I deliberately made them longer because I'm trying to get into the groove of an opening mm-hmm. credit stretch, etc. Mm-hmm. So I think you kind of need it. I'm here for it. And we did the same with uh, we did the same with closers as well. Yeah. Speaking of which, Dave, you did actually pick uh, Pixies. Where's my mind from Fight Club? Of course for I that did. Of course well. I did. Well uh, remembered. Um, uh, and yeah, it's uh, it, it, like yeah, we did the same thing. I think it's worth like having look, the lengthy clip if in there. Fucking if Buena Vista Pictures want to come at me for using, can you guess what this is? Did you know what it it's was? The Buena Vista Social Club, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's 1996. Fourth highest grossing film of 1996. It's Michael Bay's The Rock. Oh. It is the opening scene to The Rock, and the track is called uh, Hummel Gets the Rockets. So, is that Ed um, Harris in there? It's Ed Harris. Ed Harris, is playing, Ed Harris is playing the character of Brigadier General Francis X. Hummel of the USMC Force Recon. And the plot of this movie, if you don't know it, is... Harris's character and like the opening stretch there he's it's lashing rain he's in his he's in his suit he's going to the graveside of his wife people are saluting him he's like he's suiting up and he's like he's basically saying like he's done something that he has to do and what he's done is he's stolen nuclear weapons and he's trying to get like you know um I think it's like money and and honor for like men who were killed in a mission or something blah 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 and, you know, Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery have to stop him, damn it. But he's an interesting character. He's a good villain because he's an interesting villain. He's got, like, a, a moral compass, but he's doing this crazy thing. But the music by um, Hans Zimmer is one of them, and Nick Glennie Smith. There was also, I, I think, Harry Gregson Williams and other musicians worked on this as well. From the off, like, I mean, you know in that moment you're watching a fucking movie. <laughs> you're like, I'm <laughs> sitting down... This is a fucking movie, everybody. And you're watching yeah, a movie. Like, it's very much like, we're, we're going to take you somewhere. We're going to take you in this ridiculous, stupid action movie. Now, I've seen this movie fucking a million times. Like, you know, it's one of the one of the great 90s action movies and the kind of the league table pantheon of like Terminator 2, Broken Arrow, Face Off, Con Air, this, obviously, f- several others. And I remember I did rewatch it a while ago and I remember being not as impressed as I was when I was younger. But I don't know. Listen to that music now and hearing that opening sequence makes me just want to watch it all over again. Now, there is a man, of course, who recently joined Letterboxd, the uh, the film website that we log our movies on, purely to purely to talk about action movies. So, Adam Shannon. This, I haven't darkened the door of this one yet, but I feel like this could be tonight's edition. Um, I've, I remember this being like such a good flick back in the day. But aside from that, that's not what I wanted to throw my two cents in about. So... Myself or yourself, myself and Craig have often wondered about what the count is on certain like people getting into the top five. Oh, Hans Zimmer. I'd say it? Hans Zimmer's on twenty plus at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about Hans Zimmer here is like, I mean, like this is also he's such a fucking cannibal of himself. Like you know, and so is Trent Reznor. So it's fine. You can't like hold it too hard against them. But like Hans Zimmer is continually recycling his stuff. You, can, I think, in this in, in those kind of like big kind of epic march sweeps there and the rhythm kicking in, you can hear his upcoming Pirates of the Caribbean score there, right? Right? Just like the oh, kind of din- sure, uh, uh, yeah. and the more this one goes on, there's so much like din, 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 din. <laughs> like it's all that kind of stuff, and that's what the rock is for two and a half hours. That's, it's a ridiculous yeah, film. That's so on but, the ball. It's very pirates. Yeah, I kind of want to watch it tonight. I kind of want to watch Fight Club tonight. I don't know what to do, but I'll move on for now and let Mark take the microphone. Unreal. Okay. Well, look. Um, let's uh, on the subject of uh, <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. 
leads me to think of Johnny Depp. Let's keep it on the theme of uh, problematic humdingers. Oh no, where are you going? Number three. not as adam suggested an iphone ringtone it is in fact the theme from american beauty by thomas newman uh uh that's actually called dead already not the theme from american beauty uh but the opening track used in an amazing sequence where we get introduced to kevin spacey's character uh, at a time when i adored the man with every fiber of my being oh no uh, he could do no wrong in 1999 little did so we know i'd say he i'd say he probably did well, a lot wrong in my then. mind days. um he was just a misunderstood father jerking off in the shower um, yeah, so Thomas Newman, I think, it holds the... Sorry, I, I feel like I should step in. That's a reference to the movie, just in case anyone <laughs> hasn't seen American Beauty. <laughs> like, just, just to be it clear, did, like, okay? I, I, did, I did have a yeah. moment. It's the opening scene I did have of the a, film. Opening yeah, scene of the film. I had a moment there myself where I was like, mm, if people don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm talking about the film. Uh, I hate killing jokes, but I, sometimes you just got to provide the context. Right, you know, right. Keeping me, keep, keep me out of trouble. It makes more sense, actually. Uh, I like it better now that we did explain this <laughs> <laughs> um, the world's gone politically correct it's the, mad, guys. It's the, can't it, say it's anything the, on a podcast anymore it's the, it's the highlight of his day if I recall correctly he said a great line at the beginning of that, of that film where he's kind of narrating his morning and he's like this is me jerking off in the shower and it's a very kind of sad sort of pathetic angle of him shot from outside the camera and he's just like this will be the highlight of my day it's all downhill from here <laughs> it's a wonderful wonderful opening monologue from what I think is a fantastic film. Um, it's been a long time since I've watched it. It's kind of hard to watch Kevin Spacey now, knowing what we know. But this soundtrack, man, oh my God, I've, I've absolutely worn it out over the years. I think Thomas Newman is really underrated in terms of like, he, he he's in the conversation, but I don't hear his name thrown around as much as say a Hans Zimmer or a John Williams. I think he's like every bit as talented as both of them, if not even better. Uh, he's done work for the Shawshank Redemption. He's done Finding Nemo, which has a gorgeous score. Um, and in American Beauty, what I love about it is just how sort of unconventional it is for like essentially like a kind of a, a subversive sort of kitchen sink suburban American drama. And um, we've got like all these African kind of percussion sounds going on and all sorts of like pitched percussion in the form of like marimbas and xylophones. And there's just this like sort of playful mystery intention and this like seductive danger to it it's also got like the iconic plastic bag theme um which i think of every time i see a plastic bag blowing through the wind <laughs> um yeah i i just think it's a i just think front to back this soundtrack is absolutely stunning i, li- I listen to it a lot like outside of the film um, I used to listen to it a lot when I was on tour and it would put me to sleep and then there would just be a wild sort of uh, like African percussion madness bit that would wake me up. Uh, but yeah, I love it. I love it to bits. Um, and maybe I'll chance the film again. Wow. Uh, brave move. Um, I will say 
uh, sorry, if you heard any environmental storytelling of my own there, I had to get up and close my window because as hot as this room is and it's fucking boiling, it's very loud outside. So I was like, oh. across the road filming as well. Make sure you pull the curtains. Mr. Hanready? Uh, no. So I had a look at Thomas Newman's Wikipedia there. He has been working steadily since the 80s. Like, I mean, this guy has like one or two films a year that he works on, um, including stuff like Spectre, Skyfall, Bridge of Spies in recent years. He's con- a man in demand. And uh, yeah. someone who, and now when when those first notes started playing, I was like, "What a choice!" Because I, I I I remember again saw this in the cinema, thought it was great. I haven't revisited it in a long time. To be fair, this isn't me like taking some moral high ground stance. I am a hypocrite. I did watch L.A. Confidential recently. I watched The Usual Suspects recently. I watched The Negotiator, an absolute trash fire of an entertainingly bad good movie from the nineties that he's also in. So yeah, it's not about that. Although you know, obviously, terrible human being. Hope he goes to prison. Um, but. The music in this movie fucking rules. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it feels very Royal Yellow to me as well with regards to, you know, that kind of world, you know, like bringing in all kinds of different influences from across the globe. I'll take um, it. So, yeah. I'll take it. Uh, yeah, love it. Love it. Um, Going to go listen to it tonight, I think. Uh, so, yeah. We're all, we're all going to have very big evenings by the sounds of things. Um, and in the meantime, we'll press on with my runner up. Um, yeah, I kind of I, I kind of struggled on this one. Like, you know, I kind of had some obvious Dave picks. And then in the end, I was like, no, go for this one. And I actually, this is one that I actually, uh, a track that I picked for No Oxcord recently. Our Patreon show, which you can get at patreon.com slash noencore. It's a recent release, um, but the score of this film has stayed with me since I saw the film. I think it's an excellent score to work to, to listen to, to drift away to. And I think it's it's uh, unfurled beautifully in this film over the opening credits. So here we go. Number two. So that is Eiko Ishibashi. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. I'm probably mangling this name completely. A Japanese singer, songwriter, and musician. And the track is Drive My Car from the film Drive My Car, which came out a few months ago over here on this side of the world and came out in 2021 elsewhere. Uh, Have you seen this film? No, I started watching it uh, through illicit means online and then the subtitle that was embedded got all messed up and it was i was i was only getting like one side of a conversation so i paused it um but i'm very much looking forward to going back uh and it's on you can watch it via legal means now it's on mubi the art house streaming platform nice uh, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous film, and it does that trick that some people don't like because it's a bit of a trick, but I kind of like it when it's done well enough and it's done well in this movie. It's a bit of a spoiler, but I'm going to say it anyway. The opening credits don't happen until half an hour in, which I think is just... Oh. What a flex. Like, it's outrageous. Wow. You've had a half an hour of storytelling and a ton of inciting incidents, and all of a sudden, like, there's this long shot of a car driving down a motorway, and then it comes up, like, this starts playing... And then it comes up like, you know, a film by, and I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, huge move. 
Um, a beautiful film, a beautiful film about love and loss and grief and the music. The, the whole soundtrack is like this. It's just, I don't have the education to talk about the sophistication of how the soundtrack is put together. And it wouldn't necessarily be my go-to style of music. I mean, there's lots of jazz rhythms in here. I know fucking nothing about jazz. I'm beyond ignorant when it comes to it. I have such a lack of appreciation for complex music. You know me, I like new metal. But the thing is, I adore this score. I think it's fucking amazing. I've been listening to it on repeat um, in the months since I saw the film. It's a short enough score as well. Um, the film is th- about three hours long, but the, sh- the score, I think, is only a little bit over 30 minutes, if I have that correctly. It's just beautiful. It's such a, a cliche alert, but it's such a character in its own right. It elevates and supports this film so gracefully, and it's such a graceful film. I loved it. I thought it was stunning. Um, it is long. It is languid, and it is very, very heavy without really saying a lot at times. You've got to be patient with it, but I, I genuinely can't wait to see it again. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of um, I'm kind of biding my time, even though I said I can't wait there. But it's one of the films of the year. The music is so, so perfect, and I just loved that moment. And I loved sitting there in the cinema with Higgs, and just like when that happened, I was like, oh my God, man, this is unbelievable. I was like, <laughs> I was like what a flex. Nice. <laughs> what an art house flex. So All yeah, right. drive my car. Please, everyone, check it out. I can't wait to see it. I thought your Letterboxd review of it was very thoughtful and very moving as well. So uh, thanks, man. Yeah. reason to go and check it out. Thank you. Yeah. I'll, it was, sorry, I will say it was very, very difficult not to sit there in that movie um, after, you know, losing my father and just, you know, not have that kind of circle through my brain. But the film, honestly, like, despite the fact that, you know, it could have broken me, I felt like the film gave me a big warm hug. So that's kind of what I took Beautiful. from it. So I love when that happens, when, when things come along, just when you need them. Uh, when you're in bits. <laughs> um, <laughs> As I so often am. <laughs> now, to, to pivot to something... Uh, you said you don't know much about jazz, Dave. Well, maybe after this. <laughs> I thought you were going to do a Marty McFly. Well, listen to this. <laughs> this uh, is a complete change of gear. Um, again, from Summertime. Oh, my second in a row from 1999, Summertime for Humanity. Uh, this is one where I've left a little bit of dialogue in. Um, this is one that we watched in Kerry as a family last week when I was hanging out with my dad. Let's go. I can't believe Vanessa, my bride... My one true love, the woman who taught me the beauty of monogamy, was a fembot all along. Wait a tick. That means I'm single again. Oh, behave! <laughs> yeah! Yeah, baby, yeah! Yeah, baby. <laughs> oh, behave. That is the unmistakable sound of Austin Powers 2, The Spy Who Shagged Me, um, with a theme that I had no idea was actually not an original theme composed for the film, but actually an original composition by none other than Quincy Jones. From of course. His 1962 album, Big Band Bossa Nova. Um, I was shocked. No, sorry. Can I just step in here and say that you set this up with like this perfect idyllic family situation? I was like, oh, what, what, what warm classic did they watch together? What could it possibly be? Amazing! Oh, what man, a rug pull. You have not met my father. Um, <laughs> yeah. So my dad, who introduced me to Leslie Nielsen, and amazing. Um, 
who took me to the cinema to see Shame uh, on my first viewing of that film. That was an, that was an experience. The, the Michael Fassbender I'm sex movie. Still processing with my counsellor. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I grew up in a very uh, open, free household. Um, and uh, yeah, nothing was taboo. Certainly not Austin Powers 2 uh, or Shame, although some, some things we wish were. Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, this is a ridiculous film, obviously. I, rec- I was nervous about picking it. I almost picked this theme as my number one, but was like, uh, I don't know, there are definitely problematic aspects to this film. I don't want to come under that much heat. But I do think for the most part, Mike Myers has created a film here that represents a simpler time, a cheekier time, a sexier time, <laughs> um, a fun time, a fun time. Um yeah, I don't know. It's it's nostalgia. It's ridiculous. Like taking the James Bond sort of meta narrative and like just flipping it on its head to just be this gross, uh, sexed up, cheeky maniac. I don't know. I love it. I don't. I don't know what's wrong with me. But this this theme since selecting it a couple of days ago for the top five, I have not been able to stop listening to it. Apparently, it's been used in like. 20 different TV shows. It's like, you know, it's had a good run since 1962. So that makes it, oh my God, like, does that make it 60 years old? Yes, it does. So Quincy was a young man putting this together, apparently composed it in like 20 minutes. Um, It's just irresistible, right? Like, it's just like, when I, when I leave this world and my coffin is carried out of the, <laughs> of the chapel. I just want this. I just want this on. Everyone but everyone's going to start dancing. Everyone's just swinging. Um, it's amazing. In the in the title sequence in question, uh, Austin Powers, of course, loses his uh, brand new bride to her being a fembot uh, who malfunctions and explodes in his hotel, in his honeymoon suite. Um, and then he proceeds to saunter about the hotel, butt naked, with his genitalia continuously being covered by baguettes and like funny hats and like babies, uh, babies shakers. There's also. a teapot at one stage, I think, isn't there? Like, yeah, it's, there's it's uh... like two. There's like two rabbis cutting a big piece of salami and like it's just ridiculous. It's it's pure like Leslie Nielsen naked gun style. Yeah, yeah, buffoonery, and I can sanction this buffoonery. Um, I love it. Yeah, I am. I'm ultimately an 11 year old boy still at heart, and this just gets me every time. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal choice. A very unexpected one, I will say, but inspired nonetheless. Uh, number one for me. Back to Dave's favorite decade, the 90s, and back for more epic, epic, epic stuff. I contemplated getting something in from this director and it was like well what one will it be and I think it's going to be this one because I think the music in this movie is such an important part of it and I think it's a great film I think that it's oddly underrated and this is how it starts So that is the opening title theme from The Last of the Mohicans from 1992, 
which means that, uh, yeah, it's turning 30 in August or September, I believe. Uh, Michael Mann film. The music is composed by Trevor Jones and Randy Edelman. The main theme that you heard there, um, which is used once again as part of the film's kind of overall signature and one that plays over the end, the exceptional ending sequence of this movie, which is a song called Promontory or Promontory. Um, They sample uh, The Gale, which is a, a song, an old an old country folk song, I believe, by a Scottish musician called Dougie McLean. Clonid are on the soundtrack, by the way. Um, It's just unbelievable. And again, it's like you're sitting there, the screen is black, this is building, it crashes in, the name of the fucking movie burned onto the screen. And you're like, yeah, okay, I know I'm about to watch something huge here. This is like a two-hour film that feels about six hours long and not in a bad way. Have you seen The Last of the Mohicans? I have not. Um, Shocking. Have not. Get off I, my podcast. I need to see it. There's a very romantic story, actually, a guy that I'm doing the MA with. It's his girlfriend's favourite film. Oh, and, wow. And uh, for her birthday, he created, like, a video player. Like, he, like, built it from, like, a Kindle or something and programmed it to play The Last of the Mohicans at, like, at, a, at, like one frame every three hours. So, like, <laughs> basically... Because it's her favorite film, the idea was that like if he play, if he plays it at one frame every three hours, it will last twenty years or something. This is ridiculous! So next, oh my god, this guy! So for the next twenty years, <laughs> she's going to be watching Last of the Mohicans. I think that's very sweet. That um, is exceptional. This yeah. man is going to have the best wedding of all time. Dempsey. Yeah, I mean, but she's going to be like shooting in for like the ending when they're on their <laughs> wedding. But hang on. Um, yeah, shout out to Sean Dempsey. You. You absolute sweetheart, you. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. That's genuinely amazing. My God, no sound, that's love. Though, unfortunately, imagine, uh, what, see, imagine need, what this it does need would sound. sound like stretched out, like one of those YouTube videos where it's like ten thousand times slower. Be yeah, amazing. I do love I do love those. Justin Bieber, eight hundred times slower, they're like great. like it is yeah, genuinely right. euphoric. Um, you do need the music though. You need the sound in this movie. So this is a film uh, in which Daniel Day Lewis is in. Of course, he's great in this movie. Um, it's set during the French and Indian War. Uh, Wes Studi, who is an incredible Native American actor, plays the villain Magua, and it's one of the great villain performances you'll ever see. Uh, there's a ridiculous scene in which Daniel Day Lewis and Madeline Stowe, who have fallen in love with each other, are like. You know, being separated and there's a waterfall and Daniel Day-Lewis is there looking unfucking believable by the way, with his long hair. Like the full-on Mills and Boone guy come to life, you know? And he's there and it's like, you know, stay alive! You know, I will find you! And it's just ridiculous. Like, it's just like bodice-ripping. Yeah, it's crazy. But like, it's an amazing film. Uh, It's brilliant. I I love it. And the last fucking 10 minutes, man. I could watch the last 10 minutes of this movie on loop. And I did put it on last night after I was putting this together and I was just like in awe of what I was seeing. Michael fucking man, everybody. Michael man, he, every now and again, he really pulls it out of the bag, doesn't he? Um, yeah, he's kind of tipped off a bit in recent years, but nonetheless. But the music of the, of this movie, seriously, Trevor Jones, Randy Edelman, Dougie McLean, everyone involved, oof. Amazing. He knocked it out of the park. Go watch this fucking movie. It's great. This is great. I'm getting a proper, like, to-do list out of this episode. <laughs> it. Here's a movie for my number one that should not be on anyone's to-do list in that you have... Everyone has seen this film. Um, it is an obvious choice. It was the first one that came to mind when we thought of the top five. I couldn't not pick it. It is absolutely magnificent. And uh, yeah, see for yourself. Here it goes. Oh, 
<laughs> oh yeah, the circle of life. Uh, that, <laughs> that is. Oh, keep going. That is Elton John and Tim Rice's Circle of Life from 1994's masterpiece, The Lion King, um, with vocals from Carmen Twelly and. Libohang Moraki. Apologies, I've probably pronounced those names wrong. Um, just an incredible, incredible tune. So good, in fact, that when they remade The Lion King in recent years, um, a film that looked like it was an absolute disaster. Yeah, please tell um, me you didn't watch that. I didn't, like... I didn't go to see it, but I was looking at the soundtrack today and sure enough, track one is just a copy and paste, like facsimile carbon copy of this. So at least they had the decency to keep it intact for the remake. Uh, Not that that remake ever needed to happen. Yeah, uh, a masterpiece. Elton John, I mean, no stranger to writing absolute belters. This could be a a career highlight. (laughs) Big Elton. (laughs) Big Elton. Um, I don't know, it moves me, like it moves me to goosebumps every single time I watch it. It is the boldest, biggest most ridiculously epic opening sequence of all time. I was at a festival a couple of years ago where a cover band played it and it was like the Sunday of a festival and everyone's kind of hung over and everyone's kind of sitting on the grass and sort of like trying to piece their brain back together. And um, there was a father there carrying like his his like very young child, like probably only a couple of weeks old, this baby. And he was the first to sort of stand up and he just approached the stage, stood in front of the stage. And when it hit that bit, just lifted his newborn child in front of a festival audience who were just rising to their feet, uh, antlers in the air, like just going off. It was, it was a magical moment. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, I was going to ask you: Does stuff like that not like? Did this not get buried in the world of parody and and stuff like that? I mean, like, that just sets all my fucking cringe bones on fire at the same time. Uh, when I'm like, some guy lifting his fucking kid up, it like, was it's, one of you those, know, like, like you know, when you're at a festival, like all critical facilities are kind of shut down. Especially, have you met me? You know what I do at <laughs> yeah, festivals? Sorry, maybe not <laughs> so, you. When. <laughs> When fun people are at festivals, Dave, they like to switch the brain off. Um, And it was just one of those moments where you're totally brain dead. Like you're you're still probably half pissed from the night before and you're just like trying to sort of find the the strength to go on. And moments like that, I think... uh, yeah, they have their place in, in festival culture, Dave. Um, All right. But yeah, I don't know. Well, like Native American headdresses on white people as well. Yeah, that kind of festival culture. Not is that what it, Quite. <laughs> no, no, no. I wouldn't be, wouldn't be as, uh, as big a fan of that. But tell me, Dave, what's your opinion on The Lion King? Uh, were you a fan? Did you see the remake? What's your, what's your um, stance? Loved the original as a boy. Haven't had much of a desire to explore it again as an adult. And I think in the... You know, in the shootout of classic Disney's, uh, Aladdin wins every time for me. Oh, man. Can I tell you an Aladdin one? Of course. I sang A Whole New World on RTE television uh, in 1995. Yeah, with my uh, then five-year-old girlfriend at the time uh, on like a, kind of like a, on like a, a, a sort of a poor substitute for the den because the den used to go on summer break. Um, (laughs) So they had this like, it was called Jump Around. It was hosted by Joe Rooney of Father Demo fame. And it was a similar kind of format, like a puppet and a wisecracking host. And they'd like have kids on and the kids would like sing songs from movies that they loved. Myself and my 
girlfriend. I can't believe I had a girlfriend. You're five. My girlfriend Ruth at the time went on, sang a whole new world. I carried Ruth all the way. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I still have the footage. (laughs) Adam is like spitting his water onto his keyboard. That was very ill-timed, Marco. My God, (laughs) gentlemen. yeah, no, you, maybe we'll cut that bit out. Uh, no, we will not. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not, no way. Um, Best of 2022, baby, <laughs> straight in there. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, another absolute humdinger. And if it had been in the opening of that film, perhaps it would have would have replaced all else. So you it. nailed it. This is what I'm hearing. You fucking nailed it. No, it's, it's horrifically embarrassing. My mum still has the VHS. <laughs> it's me, like, it's me, like, like nipples out, belly button out in, like, an Aladdin, a purple, little purple waist jacket. Um, so, same as you, Primavera, last week? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Jesus Christ. The Indian headdress. Um, yeah, Aladdin. I love Aladdin. I haven't seen the remake of that. I haven't seen the remake of The Lion King. I hate this soulless bullshit. Oh, they're photorealistic now. Cool. Mm-hmm. They can't show emotion. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of these movies. Uh, and in the battle of modern day Pixar stuff, Monsters Inc. wins every time for me over mm-hmm. everything else, just to, just for the record here. Um, but no, you made a convincing case. Um, I did not see that coming. I did not see Austin Powers coming. This has been a wild ride. Um, yeah, what yeah. a what a top five it's been. My God. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I decided to leave all cool at the door but i was very impressed by your selects dave i think you kept it nicely balanced they're very dave selections in fairness um so we go from opening credits to end credits now as we pull the shutters down on this week's episode and of course we pay tribute to our grand auteur our great director sonic architect adam shanahan and i mean could i ask for a better supporting actor this week than royal yellow mark o'brien i don't think i could thank you so so much for coming back to us man dave i fear i've said many things that i will regret but no, it was all for a good podcast episode. Then I don't know what is. It um, was all gold, and uh, another form of gold is, of course, yellow. Please go check out Royal Yellow on all good streaming platforms right now, and we look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Thanks, please guys. tell me that. Um, please tell me that, like this thesis of yours, when it's finally done, will be available for a public consumption sure, because yeah, I desperately yeah. want to see it. Like, totally, man. I will absolutely send it on. Um, yeah, yeah. I look forward to getting your two cents on it. You can have more than two cents. You can have you can have the whole damn bag of coins. Uh, <laughs> next week on No Encore, we look forward to welcoming back Craig Fitzpatrick. Happy and healthy, I hope. Best wishes to Craig as he's uh, he said to me earlier on um, that he's at, he's at about sixty percent. He said um, tested negative, so I've gone from lying vacantly in my bed to lying vacantly on the grass. So that's Craig for you. <laughs> Still thinking about the strokes. Oh, I'm sure under a tree somewhere. Imagine like a thought bubble coming out of his head of just shooting Casablanca's. <laughs> Apparently they were terrible at Primavera on the weekend too. So, oh, you know, great. from what I oh, heard. That makes me feel better. Oh, no, yeah. I saw a video from someone and she put up a caption saying, not the strokes, um, earning their reputation as one of the worst live bands out there. Jesus Christ. And I was like, ah, oh, come on. They were good at picnic. So I, I hit the audio on it and I was like, that does sound kind of bad. And then I was talking to a colleague today who was there <laughs> oh, well, and she was yeah. like, yeah, they were terrible. She was Ouch. like, Judy Casablanca's does not want to be there. So, Ouch. <laughs> okay. Ouch. Oh, God. Well, maybe they get a pass for, you know, being on the COVID, you know, being on the back of COVID. I certainly wouldn't want to get up and do a gig in the state that I was in. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. And on that note, everybody, uh, go check out all the movie music that we talked about. Go check all. Uh, go check out all the music that we talked about. And uh, we will be back next week, I believe. Adam, am I right in saying that Craig and I haven't done a show together for like a month now at this stage? Uh, yeah, it's been a while, <laughs> as Craig would say. Uh, <laughs> Had to play us out, stained. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> My name yeah. is Dave Handrowdy. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Bye bye. Back next week. See you. Bye. 
while since I could Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.